Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the Daily Jungle. TGIF, the grind, includes Friday, and we finished this week strong. The ALDS got started, and Terry Francona reminded everybody why he may very well be the best manager in baseball. The Patriots get out of Tampa with a much-needed win, and we spent the entire day mourning the death of the worst app in the history of computing, AOL Instant Messenger. I miss it already. And we had three good guests, Micah Hyde of the Buffalo Bills, Naheem Hines of NC State, and the NFL Network's Mike Silver. All of that, plus Alvy's incredible week that was. Alvin, hit that button. From now on, when Terry Francona decides to do something, everybody should keep their mouth shut and just go along with it. Example, if he wants to start noted drone enthusiast Trevor Bauer in Game 1 of the ALDS, Instead of previous Cy Young Award winner and current Cy Young Award frontrunner Corey Kluber, you nod your head and you say yes, and you keep your mouth shut. If Tito Francona wants all-star second baseman Jason Kipnis to start in center, then you let Jason Kipnis start in center. If he wants an all-star second baseman like Jason Kipnis to come out of the bullpen, you don't even give that a second thought. If my man tells you sewer rat Tastes like pumpkin pie. You pile it high on your plate and you get some whipped cream. I'm not going to say that Francona is perfect. I'm not going to say he's never wrong. But I'm not going to say he's not either. Case in point, game one, ALDS. He literally shocks the world by announcing that Bauer would get that start instead of Kluber. I mean, yes, it did seem a little bit risky. Who would start their number three instead of their ace in game one of a five-game series where it's so important to jump out to a lead? I'll tell you who. Terry Francona. I'll tell you who else. Nobody. And the guy was right. He was right. Because Bauer was masterful, completely dominant, absolutely freezing guys with his hook. He took that no-hitter into the sixth, and he left after six and two-thirds innings of shutout ball. And if you thought that was some kind of Huge roll of the dice by Francona. That's fine. Just know that he himself did not see it that way. You know what? I, I kind of live by uh, you, you do what you think is right. And then in the morning, I don't run to see how I'm being perceived. You have to have the confidence of what you're doing. And it's not always going to work. You know, we can't win every game. But I was completely comfortable with, with our decision to, to do what we did for a number of reasons. Now, it's awful nice when Trevor goes out and pitches like he does. But I wouldn't have felt any different if, if they would have beat him. Right. And to his point, he's not always right, but usually he is. I mean, New York came into last night's game with a ton of momentum after that beatdown they put on Minnesota in the wild card. And then they run into a buzzsaw. Brett Gardner, 0 for 3. Aaron Judge, 0 for 4, 4 Ks. Gary Sanchez, 0 for 4. Didi Gregorius, 0 for 4. The top of the order was so dominant in the wild card game, but was 0 for 15. 0 for 15 last night with seven strikeouts. Bauer got judged three times alone, making the likely rookie of the year look just like a rookie. And the one time the Yankees look like they might get something started in the top of the third, Chase Headley slices the ball to left center, and who do you think was there to make the play? Jason Kipnis. The 1-1 pitch, swung on, fly ball, left center, not that deep, on the run, Chisholm Hall gives way, Kipnis with a diving catch in left center. How about that? He never had to make that kind of a play 
the entire month of September. And a sensational diving catch in left center by Jason Kipnis. And Terry Francona said that too. People questioned his decision on Kipnis. And Tito said, you'll be fine in center field. Trust me. You have the best manager in baseball. Trust him. Exactly right. Indians radio. Trust him because the man knows what the hell he's doing. The cliche is he's playing chess and everybody else is playing checkers, but that does not begin to do this guy justice. Jay Bruce said, quote, there is a method to his madness. And part of that madness was Bruce doubling in the second and coming around to score to make it one nothing, and then coming up with one man in the fourth. Here's the 0-1. Swung on and there's a high fly ball. Deep right field. Back is Judge. And that ball is a home run. Two-run shot for Jay Bruce. Three-nothing tribe. I mean, I can't give all the credit to Tito for that home run, but he did have something to do with it. Quote, well, I mean, I was blowing on it, so probably got some help. Yeah, I think so. End quote. Home run to Bruce, assist to Francona, because that's how Terry does it. As reliever Cody Allen said, Francona is, quote, four steps ahead of everyone. And now Cleveland is one game ahead of the Yankees, and the Yankees are already in big trouble. All that mojo from Tuesday is already gone. Their bats went silent, and as Cleveland's Twitter account announced, we're up one nothing, and it's Kluber Day. Indian fan, where are you? Where are you, Indian fans? I led today's show with that. And get off Terry Francona. The man knows what he's doing. Stop questioning this guy. He knows exactly what he's doing. 1-800-636-8686. We can talk about any of the other matchups. Playoffs are underway. I want to hit on, obviously, Thursday night football. New England 19, Tampa Bay 14. That counts as a win for New England, although that was one of the weirdest wins you'll ever see. Not because of any one play that was weird, but because of so many plays that were weird. Essentially, every single play that the Bucks ran on offense was weird. So it doesn't look great, and the Pats couldn't care less. Nor should they. They get the win. Micah Hyde. He had two interceptions, as I mentioned, uh, against the Falcons on Sunday. Micah won in the third quarter on a deep ball from Matt Ryan, then the other one in the fourth quarter off a tip ball. It set up a field goal to extend the lead. Can you take me through the second one? What did you see on that play and then during that great run back? Um, you know, they were just in uh, – they're, they're obviously going to be throwing the ball. Um, they're down a little bit and, you know, look backed up. So they're um, trying to get the ball down the field. And, you know, our our, our nickel, um, Leonard Johnson, did an awesome job getting underneath the throw and and, um, and and getting his hand up. And it was tipped right to me. And I was able to uh, to get my hand underneath it on the, on the diving play. Um, and then from there, just, just run it back a little bit. I got tackled by a, by a lineman. So I've been hearing it a lot this week uh, from the guy. So – Hopefully next time I can I can uh, I can get to the the touchdown on that. That's funny, Michael Hyde joining us. Now you've beaten the Broncos and the Falcons in back to back weeks. What's that say about how good this team can be? You know, we're taking it a game at a time. Um, you know, we're just a bunch of misfits that that came here to Buffalo and trying to uh, trying to have one common goal and that's win. Um, you know, win throughout the week during practice and then you know come Sunday um, to get you know find any way we can to get a win. You know, it's big. You know, a lot of people are counting us out, and, you know, we love it. We love it that way. You know, we're the underdogs going into each and every game, and, uh, you know, we wouldn't want to have it any other way. Yeah, you actually mentioned two things I wanted to ask you about, but let me start with that notion that we're a bunch of misfits because as a defense, you lead the league right now in fewest points allowed. You've made the point that there are some misfits or guys who have been overlooked and doubted on defense. So how much does this group play with a chip on its shoulder, and then how much fuel do you get from all that? 
Oh, we love it. Yeah. Like you say, you know, we all play with a chip on our shoulder just because we have been overlooked. We've been on different teams in the NFL. Um, the coaches that are coaching us have been fired before. You know, it's it's just a bunch of guys that have a chip on their shoulder that are just, you know, another opportunity to get it done. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. Um, you know, it's fueling us every single day. Um, you know, obviously we don't read the media and stuff like that, but we know what's going on outside. We know we're not we're not naive. We know we're going to be underdogs. And people are saying, you know, sooner or later the Buffalo Bills are going to tank. So um, it's just adding fuel to the fire, and, and we love it. Yeah, see, that's another good point. I mean, you say sooner or later, the, the perception is sooner or later the Bills are going to tank. But the fact of the matter is, that was the perception before the season. As an example, exactly. I had Lorenzo Alexander on the show a few weeks back. We talked about that perception that maybe the team was trying to tank. He said the locker room was packed with guys who didn't have rings, so they were going to give it yep. everything they had. So what did you think yep. when you heard that? That, hey, these guys are just going into the tank. This year's already over before it starts. Yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, as soon as I signed here um, last April when I was hearing stuff like that. And, and uh, a lot of these guys on this team, like I said, are from um, different teams, you know, winning teams. Uh, you know, we got guys from Carolina. Uh, obviously, I came from Green Bay, Atlanta, you know, some, some teams that have, have done some stuff in this league. And so, you know, I don't think people really realize that this locker room is made up. It's not the same team from, from previous years. You know, we got a whole different coaching staff. Um, you know, a lot of our rosters is, is changed. So, um, you know, we're just looking forward to it. And, and back in April, we talked about that. We we knew coming in what it was. You know, people were going to be overlooking us and, and doubting us. And, um, you know, we've got to keep our heads down and just keep keep pushing forward. Buffalo Bills safety, Michael Hyde, joining us. All right, so you did come from Green Bay. You came from a situation where there was a lot of winning. That had not been the case in Buffalo. But one in one of your first conversations with Sean McDermott, he said that he wanted you to come in and be a leader, show guys how to win. Yeah. How do you go about doing that? And what kind of things do you share with them about winning and leading? Well, I think it starts uh, on and off the field. Uh, it's not just, you know, uh, on the field, you know, uh, communicating and stuff like that. It's just off the field, the way you think, the way you do things um, in your everyday life, you know, not taking shortcuts, um, just doing the right thing, being a good person. And, and you know, as soon as I, as soon as I signed here talking to Sean, um, we didn't talk football. You know, we, he asked about the family. He asked about, you know, my character and all that stuff. And, and, you know, my way of leading is just being myself every day in the locker room. And a lot of guys on this team are just like that. So, um, you know, that's that's the thing that, uh, you know, he wanted. And, you know, we're trying to bring that to the table. All right, so one of the reasons he brought you in is he saw you as a leader. I'm talking to you about being a vet and a leader. At the same time, yeah. it's only your fifth year in the league. So how do you explain yeah. the fact that you've already taken on that role so quickly? In other words, is this something that's always come naturally to you or have you picked it up along the way? You know, I think, yeah, I think it's, it came natural, um, you know, growing up and, and just trying to, I've just been a competitor. And, and I guess that's forced me to be a leader because I want to win. I want to, I want to do things the right way. Um, but like I said, I'm not the only one in this locker room that's like that. There's a lot of guys that are like that. And when you talk about, you know, it's only my fifth year, um, I think experience plays into that. Um, you know, I was kind of throwing the fire my rookie year in Green Bay, and I got a lot of playing time over, you know, the last four years being there and, and now here. So um, that's, what's, that's what's forced me to, to have that role and be a leader. Micah High joins us. Now, earlier in the week, Thurman Thomas tweeted, thank you for joining the Buffalo Bills, Micah Hyde. What did it mean to you to see a Buffalo legend reach out like that and thank you for joining the team? Man, man, it's awesome. It's awesome. And, you know, not even just him, but just the seeing the, uh, the so much love, um, not even just this week since I've, since I've gotten here, you know, the, the people here of Buffalo have been dying for a winning, a winning team. And, and, you know, as soon as I got here, you know, having all the love from the fans and the community, 
um, you know, come at me and all the other players that joined the team this year. It's, it's awesome, man. It's remarkable. And, you know, to have somebody like that to tweet at me and, um, you know, show some more love, it's, it's awesome. It makes you just want to keep going, keep pushing it, um, you know, try to obviously get a win this week. I mean, so I mean, if I were to ask you, it sounds like something like that could have been the case also in Green Bay. Every place is different. I mean, are these two things similar or better yet? How is Buffalo and the Bills Mafia, for instance, different than playing for the Packers? Oh, you know, I get asked that all the time. Um, you know, I think that the the city itself is they're very similar. You know, they're kind of small, smaller towns. Um, the fans are remarkable. They travel well, um, and so you know, I I was in a, a very good situation in Green Bay. Um, you know, love the fans. You know, the the, the cheeseheads or whatnot. Um, but coming here, you know, it's 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 kind of funny. Um, my fiance, she just she just loved it here. You know, the whole tailgating. You know, having the family and friends here. Um, that's probably a better question to ask her because you know on game day I'm obviously in the locker room and do all that stuff. But uh, you know I hear nothing but good things uh, about Buffalo and how the fans treat you know the players and the families and how the coaches here are making it more like a family atmosphere and, and, and we really appreciate it. And listen, you know what they say: happy fiance, happy life. And as long as she's happy, it's <laughs> good, man. You know, so yeah, for sure. You're three and one now. You're in first place in the AFC East, and yet in some places. You're still underdogs against the one and three Bengals. Do you take that as a slap in the face and a sign of disrespect? No, no, it's awesome. It is what it is. We understand that. Um, like I said, we came here in April and we understood what we were getting ourselves into. Um, so the only thing we can do is just keep our heads down and push every single day. Um, we love it. Like I said, you know, when when you're when you're three and one and you're getting fame and and, and glory and everyone's hopping on the bandwagon. You know, that's when you can get, you know, uh, outside of yourself. But, you know, when you're 3-1 and one and everyone's still down you, you know, that's the best. That's the way to go. Michael Hyde joins us. All right, before you go, in the offseason, I saw you hit up opening day at Del Mar. You busted out this tight baby blue suit for the occasion. It yeah. was a good, good look. Yep. How did you choose Thank the you. suit, and how was your time at Del Mar? I mean, Del Mar is always a great time. We go every year. Um, you know, my buddy from the Browns, uh, Christian Curtis, he always comes with me, my fiance. We get a big group together. Um, I chose the baby blue because I just I just knew it was going to be a hit, you know. I just <laughs> I just had that I just had that feeling that uh, the baby blue was going to stick out, and uh, and it did. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to to next year. I'm gonna try to do a little bit a little bit different. Um, but uh, yeah, it's always a good time at Del Mar. Yeah, you can't run that same one back. In fact, where <laughs> where do you go with that suit again? It's it's a really nice suit. Are you one of those guys that I wore it once? I'm gonna put it in the closet. I'm not gonna break that thing out again. Or do you no, already know no, the next no, time you're gonna wear it? That's not me. That's yeah. not me. If I'm if I'm paying if I'm paying for a suit, I'm gonna wear it a couple of times. So uh, you can't wear it, you know, every other week. You just gotta break it out, you know, twice a year. Maybe Del Mar, you know, uh, uh, maybe the uh, the Miami game this year. We go down to Miami. That's a nice little Miami suit. So uh, we'll figure it out. New England 19, Tampa Bay 14. As I mentioned, that does count as a win for New England. Although it was weird. That was a weird, weird game. The Patriots came into that game with a defense that had been absolutely carved by Kansas City, Houston, and Carolina. There were three games worth of film that showed how to beat the Patriots. And for some reason, the Bucs did not bother doing any of that or even trying any of that. Dirk Cutter and his crew bought a desk from Ikea they opened up the box and said, I got this. And they threw the instructions out the window. And then they just started to ram pieces together. The bunch formations that confused New England to no end against Carolina. Tampa really didn't use those. How about stack formations? Nope. Screens? Nope. Yeah, not too many of those. 
And as bad as their defense has been all season, and it's been terrible, Tampa managed to make them look good. You see, that was Tampa's chance to show that they belonged, to show that they had taken a step forward. At home, under the lights, prime time, with the defending Super Bowl champs in town, and they go out there and they puke all over themselves. I mean, that was bad. Not because they lost, but because they pretty much did it to themselves. The Patriots bust out with their color rush unis for the big game. And New England's version of color rush was white pants and white jerseys. Not very colory or rushy. And it's not like the Pats didn't give them opportunities either. They did that plenty of times. Starting with the fact that Gronk was not available last night. Then I thought the Hoodman's head was going to explode. After not one, but two roughing the passer penalties. That gave the Bucks a look at a field goal before the half. But then again, Tampa couldn't capitalize as Nick Folk missed it. Speaking of that guy, he had himself a night, didn't he? It wasn't his day, and it wasn't his week. He missed three kicks last night and five for the week. Never a good thing when kickers are trending and Nick Folk was trending number one last night. Once again, I'm never looking to take food off another guy's table. But seriously... Tampa couldn't have done better than that. They couldn't have done better than that. I want to hear from Martin Gramatica. Or how about his brother, Billy? Any of the Gramaticas. Connor Borth. Garo Yapremian. Where's my main man, Jan Stenerud? I don't know where any of those guys are. Nor do I know where Roberto Aguayo is. But wherever he is, he's laughing and butchering kicks in his backyard. And despite all that, the amazing thing is, despite all that, Tampa managed to get the ball back with 110 left in the fourth quarter and a chance to rip that game. They worked their way down to the Pats 19 for one last shot at stealing a game that they had tried to give away the entire night only to have this happen. Winston stands with the pocket, throws a rocket toward the end zone. It's knocked away, and that's the final play. Ball game is over. Yeah, Patriots beat the Bucks, 19-14. to 14. And it looks like uh, they were trying to hit O.J. Howard right up the seam, and Jameis, to his credit, was trying to get it to Howard before he got to the goal line where all the defenders were, but he didn't get his head around. He was trying to stick it on his body so that he could fall backwards into the end zone. Bucks Radio. And when I say this happened, I'm still not even sure what this was. I've got no idea what Jameis Winston was looking at or why. When he's facing a three-man rush, he decides to rifle the ball at a receiver who wasn't looking and had not yet reached the end zone. But that pretty much summed up Tampa's night, had a chance, and blew it. Because for a long time last night, I'm watching a game of who wanted it less. When the Pats weren't getting flagged for back-to-back roughing the passer penalties, they were jumping off sides on a punt that gave Tampa a first down. Or they were getting Tom Brady absolutely rocked in the pocket. And fellas, I know that Brady is in great shape. I know you all think that he's virtually indestructible because of that diet, his training regimen, and all that water that he drinks to prevent sunburn. But maybe you throw a block every now and then to make sure this guy doesn't get killed. He was sacked 15 times all last season. He's already been sacked 16 times this year. Tampa came within one sack or came with one sack all season, and they had three last night. So what I'm saying is it's not a pretty win for New England, no matter how you look at it, but it was a win. 
doesn't solve all their problems. I'm not even sure it stops the bleeding, but it didn't make things worse. This defense still has plenty of issues, issues that would be exploited by better play calls and a more composed offense. But they did go on the road on a short week without Gronk, and they got the win. They just got plenty of help from Tampa. But a win is a win is a win, and that was a win. So I don't expect you to throw it back. Naheem Hines is my guest. Naheem, nice to have you. How are you? I'm doing great. Big fan of the show, so I'm really excited to be on it. Man, I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks for saying that. Listen, before I talk to you about the year you're having and the year the team is having, Naheem, some pretty disturbing news involving AOL Messenger. They're taking that thing out back, and they're going to put it down. I have to ask you, back in the day, were you on AIM, and were you spitting game at the ladies like everybody else says they were? Uh, yes, sir. Luckily, was um, all the pretty girls in class told all the guys about it. So, I mean, obviously, when you hear about all the pretty girls doing something, you're obviously trying to talk to them and message them back. So, I definitely was spitting game, or at least I thought I was back in the day. I love it. Do you remember your screen name? No, sir. I do not. That was way, way long ago, sir. Probably uh, 15, 10 years ago. I got you. I see you working. All right, guys are funny like that. They're like, yeah, I, I had a strategy for my screen name, my first name, my middle name, my number <laughs> for tackle football. All right, good. Glad to see you were a part of that. So Thursday night game, prime time, Heisman Trophy winner Lamar Jackson, number 17 Louisville in your house, and the guys break out the all-black Black Howell uniforms. Knowing all of that, what was the mood like in the locker room before that game? And then when you hit the field last night, uh, we were excited. Obviously, the uniforms are really nice, but really it was just an opportunity to show the world what we were capable of. Um, Louisville is a great team. Not many people get to play against a Heisman Trophy winner, and they have a great team. After last year, we were really excited to have the opportunity to play them back. Right now, to your point, as good as the uniforms look, they don't win your football games. And you jumped out to a 17-7 lead in the second quarter. Every time it looked like Louisville might get back in the game, the offense and defense both came up with big plays to stay in front. So how proud of you, or how proud were you of the way your team played on both sides of the ball last night? Uh, really proud. It was a it was a team effort. We really had some tough games that we lost last year because we didn't finish. So this year we really had a really like we've really been intent on starting fast and finishing because we didn't finish a lot of games. So really, it was great to have a great team effort and uh, be able to close it out on a great team like Louisville. Naheem Hines joining us. We're talking NC State football. Now, as somebody who grew up an NC State fan, what's it mean to beat a top 25 team at home, under the lights, and to score two touchdowns in the process? It's a dream come true. I I couldn't dream of anything better. I grew up, I always wanted to play football for NC State. So growing up, knowing my family, my father, my sister, I had about 15 or 16 people there. Just Just to be able to do that in front of my family, on a big stage like that, it was a dream come true for me. I'm actually speechless, and I still can't believe it actually happened. It did. It did happen. In fact, you've got your family, and then you've got the NC State family. As an example, when you beat Florida State earlier this season, obviously that was a huge win, but sometimes it's hard to handle success after that. But after the win, you were getting ready to face Syracuse, and Tory Holt, the NC State legend, texted you with the following message, quote, what do you want people to remember you by? So first off, what's it like having somebody like Tori reaching out to you? And then how much did that message motivate you? Uh, it's always great to have an NFL Hall of Famer like Tori reaching out to you. Uh, he texts me almost every week or every other week from time to time just checking on me. I know he's busy with his life, but that's really great. And with, when, it talks, when he talks about things like that, it's just how do you want people to remember you. We're trying to build a legacy in NC State. We're trying to do something that nobody else has ever done in NC State. So we keep things like that in mind, and we keep a winning mentality. I think we can be a really tough team to beat. 
Now, you handled your business against Florida State, and now you followed that up with a win over number 17, Louisville. Your head coach, Dave Dorn, said after the game that he knew something like this was coming, that he could feel it in the way the team plays and battles, that as a program, you were ready to take the next step. So when did you first realize that the team was ready for the next step, and then what's it been like taking that next step? I feel like really as a team, we were ready to take the next step last year. We lost six games last year, but five of six games we lost in the first fourth quarter. So obviously we know we can play with the team. So really it just comes down to making them last two or three plays at the end of the game to help us seal the victory. So I feel like we knew we could take the next step, but we really didn't take the next step until we actually uh, put one away against Florida State. And for that, uh, it's really big for us and really just helping us with being in the program and our coach at this pick. Listen, I know you're not going to make it about yourself, but let's make it about yourself for a minute. He also said, your coach said this about you, quote, he just plays angry. He's converted, and he plays football like he runs track. He's trying to get personal, a personal best all the time. So where does that attitude, that edge come from when you step onto the field? Well, every time you step off the field, when you step back on, you should try to be better than you were the last time. And really, when you're 5'9", 195 pounds, you have to play with something. You can't just play with speed because if you play like that, you'll get hurt. So really, I just try to take the fight to people. And really, I might be known for speed, but I always wanted people to know that I play with heart. And uh, my effort is hopefully a match on the field because I really play. Every single snap and every single down. We're talking to Naheem Hines. What do you mean by that, for instance? I mean, you're 5'9", and you said, I don't weigh that much, but you're fast. Everybody knows you're fast. You're definitely a fast guy, but you don't want to be known as just a speed guy. You want to be known as somebody who does run with heart. How would you describe that, running with heart? And why is it so important to you that you're known as more than a sprinter, but a guy with a lot of heart? Because you can teach a lot of things. You can teach somebody how to run fast. You can teach somebody how to get stronger, but you can't ever teach heart and effort. And a lot of my runs, I feel like, is second effort. Even the blocks, we're straining. And it really just comes with finishing games. It's a second effort because nothing's ever going to be easy. So even with my running or closing games, I feel like it's just that second effort or that strain to finish that normally helps us and helps myself with the run. Now tell me if this story is true or not. I mean, it's pretty funny. Or maybe you don't think so. Or maybe it's not even true. Because nobody doubts your speed. But there's a story from back in the day that when you and your twin sister were eight, oh boy, the two of you raced at NCSU's track. Is it true that in the middle of the race, she looked at you, she waved and said goodbye, and then ran away from you and beat you badly in front of the family? Is that true? Uh, Mr. Room, I don't know how you got that story, but um, it's, it's completely true. Uh, she waved at me and actually put up the uh, peace sign. <laughs> And uh, ran away from me. I actually won the whole track meet for guys, but it wasn't even the fastest person in my age group. So, uh, Dude, that's that incredible. Happened, <laughs> that, that is incredible. She, she not only waved at you, she put up the peace sign and then ran away from you. Yes, sir. At 40 meters, I'll never forget it. And I won the race again, and my dad did not let me. <laughs> How come? Uh, something I had to live with. I beat her, I beat her one time, and we, we had spikes on. And I now I won the race again, my twin sister. So she took her shoes off, and I was like, Dad, let me give her a head start. My dad was like, you probably, you probably don't need to give her one, and that's when that happened. So I guess I had it coming for me that I wanted to talk junk to her. So really, I guess that was a life lesson for me to remain humble because no matter how good you are, something bad can happen in their moments. Yeah, it's a great story, and it's a great life lesson. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, she's got crazy games. She runs track right now, doesn't she? Yes, sir, she does. How's she doing? She's, uh, she's actually doing well. She hasn't been able to run, unfortunately, outdoor because she's had a patellar nights, but she's had procedures on her knee, so I think she's excited to have a great season coming up this year. Also, let me just slow down very quickly for one minute. I want to have a moment of silence, and I want to do it here in the open. And I want to treat this as respectfully as I can. I need a moment of silence, nationally and internationally. Can I get you to bow your collective heads in prayer?
a moment of silence for maybe the worst app ever. AIM is dead. Good night now. See you on the other side, AIM. You've got mail. It's incredible. I wake up this morning. I don't know that I've ever had such a love, hate, and mostly hate relationship with an app in my entire life. I'm not a huge app guy. But we use app. I will go on record and say we have used AOL Messenger as our chat app for years in this house. And every time I bring this up, y'all kill me for it, and I have no defense for it. You're right. I should have never done this, but I've never moved off it. And now this thing is dead, or will be dead. D-E-A-D. Dead, dead, dead. Mike Silver joining us. Mike, what did you think as you were watching Nick Folk struggle the way he did for the Buccaneers last night? I thought I missed Roberto Aguayo, which I never thought I'd say. No, it's, you know, it's hard watching kickers once they kind of get out of whack like that. You can kind of see how ugly it's going to be. He got away with it the previous week. But, you know, these games are so close, and the outcomes change careers and legacies. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a bummer in a sport where you have basically 51 dudes who are – athletically freakish people who put their bodies on the line and beat on each other. And sometimes uh, the kicker ends up deciding it. Mike Silver joining us. All right, Mike, you were in Denver last Sunday for the Raiders Broncos. The Denver defense absolutely shut down Marshawn Lynch, which came after they handled business against Melvin Gordon, Ezekiel Elliott, and LaShawn McCoy. Everybody knows about their pass defense, but how good is the Bronco run defense? Uh, Right now it's really, really good. And part of it is, they're good, and part of it is the scheme has changed some since Vance Joseph came in as the head coach, Wade Phillips left, Joe Woods was promoted, and essentially they have three really, really good corners, uh, Keep to Leave, Chris Harris, and Bradley Roby, who's less well-known, and they trust those guys to cover in man so much that they're willing to load up the box. So the attitude of the Broncos this year, from what I can see and from what they tell me, is we're not letting you run on us, and if we shut down the run, we know you have to pass. That means Von Miller coming off the edge and the no-fly zone. Uh, to me, Jim, they look a lot more like the team that won it all in 2015 than the team that went 9-7 last year. Mike Silver joining us. Now, Mike, on the other hand, you've got Oakland, and they not only lost their second straight game, they also lost Derek Carr in the process for a few weeks to a back injury. Even when he was there, though, the offense did not look like the offense everybody expected. How would you describe the state of the Raiders right now? Uh, you know, I think if they were in a different division, it wouldn't be so scary for them. But, uh, you know, you're losing contact with Kansas City now, two games ahead, Denver's a game ahead with a win. So, uh, you know, it, it's tough sliding in the AFC West. And you're right, they haven't looked right. Now, I, I went to their opener in Nashville against the Titans team that I, I believe still will be really good, although they have underwhelmed me as well and uh Raiders looked really good especially on defense but uh they were able to run the ball and uh you know it was pretty promising the last two games it has been ugly and that is before Derek Carr went down in Denver as well so now you got EJ Manuel starting a game I mean listen uh you know some people might believe that hey Colin Kaepernick would be somebody they could have had there uh, waiting in the wings. But, uh, you know, it, they're going to roll with E.J. Manuel, who looked okay 
uh, relieving Derek Carr this last game, but doesn't give you a lot of confidence in a very tough division. You know, I was going to say, Mike, for instance, if they need E.J. Manuel to play for an extended time, are the Raiders going to be able to stay in the playoff chase? I, I don't think so. And, uh, you know, with Derek Carr uh, last year, they won so many close games, and you could really point to a lot of games and say that if he wasn't the reason, he was a big, big reason. And we have not seen that Derek Carr yet this year either. Really, though, the offensive line has, to me, been the most striking difference. They invested a lot in that line, especially on the interior. And, you know, other than the Cowboys last year, I thought the Raider line was as good as it got. Uh, adding Marshawn Lynch, obviously, should have helped. Jared Cook at tight end. But the line is not getting pushed. That's two games in a row. Amari Cooper has been plagued by drops. Crabtree obviously missed the last one with an injury. But, uh, you know, they have a lot of pieces. They can still contend for a championship. Uh, because they're in the AFC West, though, they need to get rolling soon. Mike Silver joining us. All right, Mike, what about the Rams? They go up to San Francisco. Jared Goff has the best game of his career in the win over the 49ers. Nearly 300 yards and three touchdowns. A really nice game. But at the same time, it was the Niners. But they threw for 255 yards in two TDs in Sunday's win at Dallas. So how different is Jared Goff from the Jared Goff that we saw playing last year? Well, that's the guy that I saw play for three years at my alma mater, and that's one of the reasons that not only was I so excited about him coming into the league, but, you know, you just have to trust me. Like most NFL coaches and GMs uh, were of the opinion that this guy should be the number one pick. So last year was rough. Uh, beginning with the offensive line, and when your line is bad, you really have no chance. And then the scheme was not very good. So Sean McVay has obviously brought a freshness in there. They invested in Andrew Whitworth and, and bulked up the line. They went out and got him some targets. And, uh, you know, now I see the guy that, that I've been waiting to see. So, you know, as with any young quarterback, they're going to be fits and starts. It's not always going to be perfect. But, I'm just really heartened to see that because, uh, you know, a lot of people wrote him off very, very quickly. Hey Mike, let me go sidebar really quickly with you. You mentioned your alma mater. You and I are both UC guys. You went to UC Berkeley. I went to UC Santa Barbara. You and I are close in age. You've got college-age kids, right? How how different is that whole college racket now as compared to when you and I went to school? Well, I don't know if you know this, Jim, but I am a gaucho dad now as of a couple oh. weeks ago. So oh, I love that. I am, Great. Congrats. I am very excited. I love that. I yeah, but but the I kids. As excited though. as my child is, though. But uh, yeah, Jim, it's it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, I, I am a Cal dad and a Gaucho dad, so I uh, got one more still in the house, and uh, it goes way way too fast. And uh, you know, I I think when we were in college, it, there it was a lot easier to just kind of uh, you know check Show out up. and do your own thing. Now we've got texting and and all these ways of keeping in touch, which I love as a parent, but. I don't know if the kids are able to, you know, cut the cord as easily. You yeah, know, right? I tell my kids all the time, look, if everybody's doing it, you'd have such an amazing advantage over everybody else if you're the one who's not doing it, but they were brought up differently. They love it. I mean, so you did great. You've got a gaucho child. You have a Cal Bear child. But it's different, though, right? You and I just kind of sat down for the SAT. We showed up. We let our GPA drop where it was. Unless your kids are really, really smart and didn't do any of that prep work, getting into college now is a much different deal. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, I won't even, I won't spoil it for the people who have younger kids and think their kids are getting in everywhere. It is a, it is a jungle out there to borrow from you. But I, I'm going to tell a story right now that I've never told publicly, and that is, I, you talked about the SAT. I took it twice. The first time I took it uh, in LA, 
I had tickets to like a UCLA Washington football game with a 12:30 kickoff, and I think the test was like eight to eleven or eight thirty to eleven thirty. But I had to go back west and pick up my buddy and try to get to the Rose Bowl by kickoff. So you know they time each section. So I just sped through that last section. I mean, I probably did the 30-minute section in about 12 minutes just so I could make kickoff <laughs> of some college football game that I didn't care that much about. So that's how much I invested in the SAP. Oh, dude, the that's incredible. Time. That's incredible, and which is probably why you took it a second time, but you're right. Totally <laughs> yeah, I, deal. I, I improved a lot the second time. All right, so before you go, how much of a natural progression is there with the Rams? I mean, you've got an improved offensive line, and Jared Goff's got some weapons to work with. Sean McVay's obviously come in. How much of his growth this year is about McVay, and how much, it's just, how much of it is just part of a natural progression? I think most of it is the scheme and the, and the offensive line, which may, might go with the scheme because Aaron Cromer's doing a, a really good job as offensive line coach. And I'll say this about Sean McVay. Uh, you know, I covered his grandpa. He was the GM of the 49ers when I started as a beat writer. He's had a lot of success early on. And so sometimes you worry that someone like that might be entitled or overly cocky. This guy's not. He uh, He's obviously got faith in his ability, but he, you know, he's far from entitled, and I think he showed that by being strong enough to go out and hire people like Wade Phillips and, uh, you know, Greg Olson and Aaron Cromer, these veteran coaches who've been around and know a lot. And he's obviously not threatened by them and is excited about, you know, not always being the smartest guy in the room. So to me, that's the best part of Sean McVay. And then finally, Mike, you are a legend on Twitter, so I need to know, how is Blocktober treating you so far? I'm so glad you asked. October is the most wonderful time of the year. You know, it's been a long year because if you think about what I tweet about and what's going on in the world, you know, I was I was kind of cocky last October. I uh, had a rough November, and uh, you know, my travails have continued. Some would argue that a lot of ours have. So, uh, I, you know, October is is special to me. But really, as you know, it's a it's a twelve month endeavor. Good thing the wife's not listening today. Time now for the week that was. Alvy, are you ready to roll it? Why don't you do what you do, Alvin, and why don't you do it right now? Welcome to the jungle in Southern California. I'm Jim Rome. Good morning. Welcome to Monday. It is nice to have you all here. I've got a show to do today, but as you might imagine, it's going to be a very different program because like a lot of you, I am heartbroken and I'm devastated by the news out of Las Vegas. So I want to begin by saying my thoughts and prayers are with those who lost loved ones, those who were wounded, and everybody who was impacted by this last night. Her son-in-law's friend is in intensive care in Vegas. She was one of the ones shot. So this is real. Uh, my daughter was supposed to go to the show and decided not to. So I just went in and, and I hugged her this morning, Jim. What shakes me up is my wife and I uh, planned on going and we changed our mind and decided that we're going to go to Nashville next summer instead. I know who I am. I know what I do. It's a sports show. This is not a news show. It's not a political show, but it's not an ignorant show. And I'm never, ever going to put my head in the sand. The last two couples, I took them to the festival. They were laughing. They were excited to be going. And now I'm... I'm sitting here wondering, are they okay? What's the problem with New England defensively? What's the problem with so many other teams around the NFL? I'm prepared to have that conversation, but I'm not as inclined or as enthusiastic about having that conversation after the events last night in Las Vegas. Hey, is a... Uh... Is a learned thing, and love is natural. Las Vegas, you're in everybody's prayer today. 
Neil Brown. If you could bottle up that feeling, we'd all make a bunch of money. I was physically and mentally drained after that game. And one of the guys said, is that all you got? <laughs> he made one mistake today, right? A lot of guys made one mistake. Including me. Starting with you dropping a quart of casserole edge in your hair. Is that Ben McAdoo or is that Kurt Orban? We need to win a damn game. Baseball bat. Get this guy a nickel. All right. I'm a little fried. I went to New York and back this weekend. A big thank you to Air Rome, Jim Rome. It's Romageddon. Imagine being George Clooney and just going to the mailbox every day and seeing residual checks just stack. George Clooney. As you might imagine, knowing Deshaun Watson, he is not sweating any of it. He's a fun guy to coach. I just keep no, it. Yeah, no, just no. keep it simple. When I asked for the Deshaun Watson cut, just play the Deshaun Watson cut. Dude, it was like one mistake. I've made one mistake in 10 years. Can you get off my Butker's kick is up! You're 4-0. What more do you want? You're the best team in the NFL right now. What more do we need to say to give you more respect? Well, right now, it is Kansas City and everybody else, and nobody can debate that. Justin Bethel is my guest. When I do give a play for me, it's like, okay, let's go out there. They're going to come back at you, so go out there and make a play and, you know, kind of make up for it. I'll make up for Christian it in Maine. Aaron Judge, the dude's grill. He could eat corn on the cob through a barbed wire fence, man. It's this Tuesday, not last Friday. Personal appearances are not show fodder. I took a look at Baines in the shower. Uh, I'm not sure that there's any reason for any color analyst to be starting any sentence ever with. I took a look at Baines in the shower. Mike Leach. If I'd gone to Key West High School, by this time I'd have a boat. I'd be a lot better lobster diver. I'd be a lot better fisherman. I would have seen more sharks. You know what? I don't really care about how many Yo, Nick, bro, chill. Games. Dude, dial that down. Chill out. Man, this guy sounds uptight. You see this watch? Dad, are you going to get the platinum? Son, we've been over this a million times. What? You know I'm not going to get that. Like he gets out like the yellow pad and draws a line down the middle. Let's go pros and cons, Pops. Scott Frost. Hey, Coach Scott Frost. You know how much Nebraska fans love you. I have 130-some guys on this team that are sweating and bleeding, working hard for me, and I, it'd be a huge disservice to them for me to get distracted. You did it, Sparrow, you did it. Good job, good effort, Pigeon. You did it, you did it. Alvy's mixed back in the day before we started doing the week it was. Oh. Sai Ujiri is my guest. Oh, I was going to tell you, Jim, I had to break the news to you. I'm back, BlackBerry, man, the key one. I'm back on BlackBerry, and I'm a very happy man. Funny to hear female talk about routes. Like. Keep trying to be a 1970s pimp daddy and you can suck my lady sports ball. Caitlin, easy. Dave Roberts is my guest. There was a lot of panic among Dodger fans during late August and early <laughs> September. Romy, I'll tell you, man, I didn't panic, but I was like, man, can we just win one game? Lawrence, you're in before the end of the hour. What's up? Yeah, Hope Solo is doing psychotic. She's feeding people up. We need help, Dad. We need help. Can I get you to bow your collective heads in prayer? A moment of silence for maybe the worst app ever. AIM is dead. We've You've used me. AL Messenger as our chat app oh, for God, years God. in this house. D-E-A-D. Dead, dead, dead. Micah Hyde. I'm paying for a suit. I'm going to wear it a couple of times. You can't wear it, you know, every other week. Twice a year. Maybe Del Mar. The Miami game. Nice little Miami suit. I can fire my cannon whenever I want. Sign the Chargers security guard. Come on, bro. Really? Drop me that. No good. Naheem Hines. AOL Messenger. All the pretty girls in class told all the guys about it. When you hear about all the pretty girls doing something 
you're obviously trying to talk to them and message them back. So I definitely was spinning game, or at least I thought I was back in the day. Mike Silver joining us. How is Blocktober? I'm so glad you asked. Blocktober is the most wonderful time of the year. I was kind of cocky last Blocktober. It's special to me. What are you wearing? What am I wearing? I did. Somebody in your group did some homework. Is that what Curly Frying Ketchup Minute? A little guard. Take that cookie and stick it up your yeah. Go, 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 go. All right, Romy, take care. Deuce 690. Go, Chose. Warm lady clone. Good night now. (laughs) That is awesome. That is so funny. Clones, thank you so much for listening to the Daily Jungle. And thank you, as always, for listening to the Jim Rome Podcast. Episode 7 drops next Tuesday. You have an amazing weekend. See you next time. We're out.